Welcome to Foundations of Pentecost, dedicated to the repairing, restoring, preserving, and perpetrating the foundations of Pentecost. It is our prayer that as you listen, you will be encouraged and strengthened in your faith. And now, today's study from the scripture. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and invite his presence to be with us this morning. Father, we're thankful for the privilege we have to come before you. God, I pray that you would be with us this morning. God, I pray that you would help us to hear your word and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We are uh, looking at the book of Malachi, and uh, we have. Uh, there is a lot of things packed into this little book, the final book of the Old Testament. And uh, there, there are a lot of things, and, and uh, as you look at the book of Malachi, it is a sobering book. Um, and uh, generally, and, and, and it, will, it is part of today's lesson where we're at, we're going to be looking at Malachi chapter 2. And uh, so it is a, a part of today's lesson, but a lot of times when we look at the book of Malachi, uh, two things stand out, and that is that uh, we find in the book of Malachi that God hates divorce, and then the second thing that is generally preached and, and taught from the book of Malachi is he says, uh, ask if you will rob God, and uh, they say, how have you robbed how have we robbed God? And he says, in tithes and in offerings. And usually, uh, if somebody knows about the book of Malachi, that's the two passages that they know about, is that God hates divorce and that uh, tithes and offerings. And that it, both of those will be part of our study of the book of Malachi. But he has a whole lot more to say to us than just those two things. Because overall, the overall message of the book of Malachi is, is that we need to serve God with a true and an honest heart. We need to give God our best. And then, uh, though Malachi uh, has some sobering things, he also has encouragement because he tells us and prophesies and foretells of the coming of the Messiah, who we know is Jesus Christ. So let's look this morning at Malachi chapter 2, and we're going to begin reading in verse 10. Have we not all one Father? Have not one, hath not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother by profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah hath dealt treacherously and an abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord, which he loved, and hath married the daughter of a strange God. The Lord will cut off the man that doeth this, the master and the scholar out of the tabernacle of Jacob, and him that offereth an offering unto the Lord of hosts. And this have ye done, covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and with crying, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering any more, or receiveth it with good will at your hand. 
Yet ye say, Wherefore? Because God hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. Yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. And did not he make one? Yet, he, yet had he the residue of the Spirit, And let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. For one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore take ye heed to your spirit that ye deal not treacherously. Ye have wearied the Lord with your words, yet ye say, Wherein have we wearied him? When ye say, Everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord, he delighteth in them. Or where is the God of judgment? Malachi says here, Ye have wearied the Lord with your words. So I've titled today's lesson, When God Becomes Weary. The Lord was wearied by his people's words. Uh, this weariness was not related to God's power or his strength, but instead he was frustrated or disappointed with the behavior of his people and their refusal to heed his call for change. God was wearied because the people questioned his judgment. It appeared to them that God no longer cared whether evil was punished or good was rewarded. The writer of the book of Ecclesiastes says in chapter 8 and verse 11, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Though a sinner do evil a hundred times and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before him, but it shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before his God. Sometimes we look at, at sin that is taking place, and, 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 and because the sentence, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, Therefore, people think they can go on and do and live as they please. This world, the age that we live in, this has become largely the mentality. When we look at the United States of America and we look at some of the things that is happening in our nation and we wonder why God has not poured out His wrath on our nation and why they have not been judged for the wickedness and evil. And people say, if there was a God, he would have judged us. And because we have not suffered judgment, because we have not suffered some of the ramifications for the sin, we think that we're getting away with it and we can continue to do it. The world looks at it this way. They feel like it's okay. We're not suffering harm. We're not, we're not being judged for what we're doing. So what we're doing must be right. It must be okay to, to confuse our children about what gender they are. And they are continuing to do these things. And if we are not careful, we are beginning to see the church take the attitude of the psalmist 
when he said, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, my feet almost slipped. And the church begins to look at, and God's people begins to look at the world, and they say, they're not being judged. Where is the judgment? And so God is beginning to deal with them because, because God is becoming weary with his people because of their half-hearted sacrifices to the Lord. And he tells them, first of all, that his holiness has been profaned. We talked about previously in the previous lesson the fact that the name of God was being taken in vain, not just by the people of, of Israel, not just by the, the nation of Israel and the Jews, but even the priests, the leadership, those that were supposed to be the spiritual authorities were taking the name of the Lord in vain. They were profaning the name of God. So often it's easy for us if we're not careful. We name the name of Christ. We, name, we claim to be Christians and yet the way we live our lives in a careless manner, we are profaning and taking the name of the Lord in vain because we are taking his name to us by calling ourselves Christians and yet not living it or living a hypocritical lifestyle. First of all, God reminds them in uh, verse 10. He says, Have we not all one Father? Hath not one God created us? He tells them, first of all, we must remember that there is only one God. We do well to remind ourselves of this from time to time. Uh, though we profess to believe it, sometimes we just take it for granted and we don't stop and think about it. But we need to remind ourselves that there is one God. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Bible says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 the Apostle Paul writes, As concerning therefore the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, and as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. He then writes in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father above all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. There is only one God. This nation was founded on Christian principles, upon biblical principles. And for years... Though we may not have served, though people may not have always served God as they should, for the most part there was the basic belief in Jehovah God, in the God of the Bible, 
lest I leave someone in confusion, there is one God, but we believe he is manifest in three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. We do believe in the Trinity. The Bible teaches that he is manifest in three persons. But there is one God, only one God. But we are beginning to see even in the United States, it used to be when you'd hear about, about Buddhism or Hinduism or, or Muslims or uh, Islam and, and the different that worshipped other gods, that was, that was foreign to those in America. But it is becoming more and more prevalent in the United States to worship these other gods. And, and there is an effort to put all religions on the same plane. But the Bible still says that there is only one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. It is only through Jesus Christ that we find salvation. There is only one God. Then he tells them in verses 10, 11, and 16 that his people, God's people, the people that were chosen by God have dealt treacherously with him. They have dealt treacherously. The word treacherously means to violate allegiance or faith or pledge by betraying trust, faithless, as in a situation where a person would surrender a fort to the enemy treacherously, or treacherously surrender a fort to an enemy, or to disclose a secret treacherously. It is someone who is a traitor, and he says, you have become traitors, and the specific thing, is, especially in verse 16, he is saying your indifference to the marriage vows has caused you to become a traitor to me. Could I say that we live in an age when the world in general and much of the church world has become traitors to God because of their views on marriage? We thought it was a, a, a right thing as divorce began to take place. And now we have come convoluted the idea of marriage to, to some people are, are making it to be almost anything. Anybody can make some kind of a union and call it a marriage. It does not matter what they may try to say legally is true. Marriage is strictly between one man and one woman for life. And he says, you have become traitors to me because you have taken marriage lightly. And because of that, he says in verse 12, the Lord will cut off the man that doth this. The master or the scholar out of the tabernacles of Jacob, and him that offereth an offering to the Lord of hosts. 
says, because you have been traitors, I will cut you off. God oftentimes continues to pour out his blessings on us. There are times that we can come and we can feel the presence of God in the church service and we think everything's all right, even though we have, have not lived right or, or maybe, maybe we haven't necessarily done some of these things, but we think it's okay. And we, we have lived a life that is not wholly committed to God. And we come and we come to church and we feel His presence. We think everything's okay. But God says, there's going to come a time that I'm going to cut you off. And you'll no longer feel my presence. You'll no longer be a part of my people. The Israelites came before God. And as they would bring their offerings to the altar, they would come with tears. They would come with weeping. They would come to Him crying. But their tears were meaningless. Paul writes to the Corinthians in in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner, that you might receive the damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh to death. For behold, this selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indulgence, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this manner. God said, there is a... Or, Paul is writing here and he says, there's a godly sorrow, and you sorrowed with a godly sorrow, but not oh sorrow is... You know, sometimes we come to God weeping and it's not true repentance. Sometimes we come to God and, 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 and weep and cry before the Lord. And it's because maybe we got caught. It's not because we're truly sorry. It's not. True sorrow causes a change in our life. When there is true repentance, godly sorrow brings repentance, which is a change. I knew a particular young person years ago. That her parents caught her doing something that was wrong. And so she would go to the altar and she would weep and cry at the altar. And as far as the parents were concerned, she went to the altar and she prayed and all was forgiven. But 
the pattern would repeat itself in her life. And that's what the children of Israel were doing. They were doing the same thing over and over. They would come to the Lord. Sometimes, sometimes it gets to the point that we say, well, this is what I want to do. I know it's against the word of God, but this is what I want to do. And I'll just go to church and pray through after it's over. I'm going to live to please my flesh, and then I'll ask for God for forgiveness. I've heard people say, and not, not uh, 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 particularly about things concerning God, but I think the whole attitude even with other things, I've heard them say it's, better, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than it is for permission. And sometimes that's the way we do God. And that's what the people of Israel were doing. They were coming to the altar. They were coming to an altar. And they were, they were crying and they were pouring out their heart to God as though they were humbling themselves before God. But in reality, it was a show. It was a false humility. After committing these sins, the men then brought offerings to the Lord and wept at the altar seeking his help and blessing. They may have had the idea that they could sin blatantly with, the inti with intention of coming to God later for forgiveness. But if they were truly repentant, they would have forsaken their heathen wives and taken back their true wives, which was what Ezra made them do in chapters 9 and 10. But they were hypocritically worshiping God. It had nothing to do with a changed heart. And then our worship becomes empty. Isaiah says in the first chapter, Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or lambs or he goats. When ye come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand? to tread my courts. Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with it. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hateth, and they are a trouble unto me. I am weary to hear them. And when you spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. And when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Far too often we come to the Lord and weeping and crying and praying when we do not mean it. We are uh, uh, trying to make the appearance of giving our all to God and we give him our all when we're at church. But when we walk out the doors, we live our life our own way. Our worship has become emptied. Isaiah says later in chapter 59, Behold, the hand of the Lord is not short, that it cannot save, neither is his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. 
And we like to preach on that and we like to talk about that and we like to emphasize the fact that God is omnipotent and God can do anything. But the fact of the matter is, he goes on to say, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. And often we are concerned about why do we not see the Lord moving in our midst and why don't we see the miracles that they use to see and why does God not work the way that he used to be it could be because we have harbored sin in our lives and we have allowed sin to come into our lives and then we repeatedly go to the altar and we repeatedly repent and we repeatedly cry and pray to the Lord but there is no real change in our life there is no repentance it is all about a show of religion rather than a true change in our heart and in our life. We have not dedicated our lives to Him. We are offering to Him the blind and the crippled and the sick and the lame as sacrifices unto the Lord. We worship the Lord, but our worship is a worship that is based out of a heart that is seeking glory for ourselves rather than the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. And so our sin has separated us from God. The sin that Malachi specifically begins to deal with in this chapter is that of divorce and remarriage. He tells them that you have broken the covenant. And he says God hates divorce. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 19 that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female. And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and the twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What, their God, what therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. He says in verse 16 here of Malachi chapter 2, The God of Israel saith that he hateth the putting away. God hates the putting away. The Pharisees of Jesus' day said, well, it said, said, Moses gave command for divorce. And Jesus said, because of the hardness of your hearts. Anytime divorce is brought up, a lot of times immediately the question is asked, well, what about the exceptions? What does, when, when Jesus says, except in the case of fornication, the problem is we have shown where our heart is when we are concerned with the exception. We are always looking for the exception. The fact of the matter, God hates divorce. God never did say that you needed to divorce in situations of the exception. He did say it is permissible, but the problem is we are looking for those places and trying to see, is it permissible in this situation? And by doing so, we have widened the gap far more than what Jesus was even talking about. We have misinterpreted Scripture to fit our own desires. The fact of the matter, God hates divorce of any kind.
as we read through here, we find it's hated by God. He actually equates divorce with violence. The tearing apart, the ripping open of a home. Divorce is a cruel social crime since it fractures the divinely ordained marriage covenant and robs the woman of the dignity and protection afforded by legal agreement. To divorce one's wife is an act of treachery against her and the God who made her. Divorce breaks the heart, destroys relationships, violates family integrity, damages the children's well-being, and makes for an uncertain future. God hates divorce. Now I understand that there are, there are times that people have made mistakes in sin and there is forgiveness. And just because someone has had some failures in their past does not mean that God has not forgiven them, that they have not made things right with God. It is not for me to judge. But because there are situations like that, we have become as a whole, uh, uh, the, the church world has begun to accept it as a fact of life that it just happens sometimes. And as a result, we are not teaching the younger generation that God hates divorce. And there are far too many that are growing up in churches across our nation that do not understand this. In talking about it, he is dealing with them about marrying strange wives and, and, and marrying those who are not of the faith. There's no greater example than the example of Solomon who took to himself many strange wives, their foreign wives, wives that honored uh, false gods. And we read in 1 Kings chapter 11 that it was these false uh, are, are these strange women that turned Solomon's heart away from God. Paul tells the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14, 14 through 18, to not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. During Malachi's day, God was bringing some drastic measures. And under the leadership of Ezra and Nehemiah, Ezra and in chapters 9 and 10, and Nehemiah uh, in uh, chapter 13, we find him telling them to leave their strange wives and go back to their original wives. What happened in, in their day is they had divorced their wives who were of Jewish descent and married foreign wives and taken them to themselves to enhance their economy and to enable trade and, and, and these kind of things. And, and their, their wives were turning their hearts from God. And so he said, divorce these, these wicked women that you've married and go back to your original wife. I said, I don't see where it's that complicated. You just read what God says. <clears throat> Number one, they should have never married Right. Number two, because of their disobedience and because of the turmoil that was causing the idolatry and stuff that was being brought into the nation of Israel, God told them to separate 
Right. Right. And bigger. 
It's not fun. It's not easy. But it is what God says. And that is why that the Bible is able to say that Joseph was a just man while he thought about putting away Mary because that was in that betrothal period. And you cannot take Romans and throw them all out of the book and hang on to one right. couple verses in one chapter that we somehow have missed. The error is never in God's word. It's always in our understanding. This has been Foundations of Pentecost. We trust that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like to know more, please visit us at foundationsofpentecost.com.